0: When you hear talk of superpowers, which countries come to mind? The US or China or perhaps Russia. But isn't the greatest superpower the Internet? It has totally changed our world and is still doing so every day. It allows you to meet and hear from people in Israel and many corners of the globe which you would otherwise never have met. Every Sunday, Walter's World is proud to be part of this great revolution and to bring Israel and the Jewish world into your home on israelnationalradio.com.
1: Shalom and welcome to all of you lovers of Hashem, His Torah, Israel, and the nations. You're here on the Noahide Nation Show. I'm one of your co-hosts, Ray Patterson. I'm so glad to be here with you and so glad to have you here with me. And let me go ahead and uh, let my friend and partner take advantage of that too, Mr. Prescott Johnson. Come on in here, Prescott. How you doing?
2: I'm doing great, Ray, and uh, I hope everybody out there is doing well. And uh, how how how's the weather down there today?
1: Actually, this is the time of year that Texas gets nothing but wind. Uh, <laughs> it kind of reminds me of when I was born and raised in Chicago. <laughs> um, it's it's wind forever. And, okay <laughs> uh, at least the sun is shining though this is the time of year that we do get uh, a lot of wind and just one of the things you you just deal with it but i'd rather be doing that than you know shoveling snow and you know things like that so i'm i'm happy it's the weather's fine
2: <laughs> yeah 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 no uh up here i think the uh, the old saying uh, you know uh, i think it's was it march winds bring april showers and april showers bring may flowers what do may flowers bring pilgrims
1: uh, oh the Mayflower! <laughs> oh gosh now you now you're going to done it you made my head hurt <laughs> All right. Well, listen, folks, we're not going to waste any more of your time. Let us go ahead and, and jump into this show because Prescott and I think we've got a, a real cool show coming up. And in fact, it's going to be a series of shows. Uh, we have received a, a number of emails and also from our own personal experience, this sort of subject has come up. And that, my friends, has to do with the Messiah. And seeing as uh, both myself and Prescott were former Christians, we do know a bit about the subject. So we're going to actually have a series of shows here that are going to be under the name of "With a Real Messiah Please Stand Up? And each week we are going to be bringing you topics that are directed at this title because it is so very, very important. And we all need to uh, understand it and and recognize the truth in it. And once again, neither Prescott or I are here to offend anybody. We're not here to step on anybody. Believe me, we're nothing but the messenger. And we're getting uh, enough emails about this that we wanted to go ahead and kind of address it in a way that is going to be uh, manageable because it is such a an in-depth topic, we can't just do it in an hour. so Prescott and I have decided to go ahead and do this and in fact, to give you kind of an idea, uh, this first show is going to revolve around the subject of the birth of Jesus. Now the reason that we're using Jesus as the example of uh, the, the, the so-called Messiah uh, from Christianity is because the uh, obviously a great many in the world are Christians. So we wanted to use that. I mean, there's other religions you could go to Mm -hmm. that have similar sorts of things. But we're going to focus on on, on Christianity and talk about that. And as always, we hope that you will respond to these uh, uh, realizing the love that they're going out with. And, of course, we hope that you'll respond with emails if you have any additional questions, comments, what have you. And that's always available to you at noahide at com. So let's go ahead and get started, Prescott. Uh, you know, there's a yep. couple things I really, you know, from my standpoint, I wanted to uh, kind of okay. touch on, even though I, you and I have decided we're going to do a a, a topic uh, every week or maybe a, a real in-depth topic, uh, you know, over a two-week period. Um, and this one kind of falls into that category with the the birth. But I want to kind of go over some general uh, things uh, regarding the Messiah, and one of those <laughs> is really the reason why we're doing this beyond just the emails. Because part of the the big problem is is that uh, you know if Christians merely believed that Jesus was their Messiah, uh, you know this belief really wouldn't be that big a deal. I have talked to rabbis who feel that a belief in, a, this, in somebody being a no. Messiah is not a violation of Torah. Uh, on the other hand, I have spoken to others uh, who do believe it's a violation of, of Torah, right. but it's a far more uh, difficult Uh, Discussion in terms of trying to persuade somebody of that, Uh, we just you know oftentimes flippantly think that you know believing somebody is the Messiah. Well, that's a violation of Torah. It's against God. Well, no, it's not because anyone can claim to be a Messiah, and we're gonna through this series give you several examples of people who actually were Messiahs based upon the Jewish belief of what a Messiah actually is. So, it, you know, it's not so much that, you know, Christians believe that their Messiah is, I is, uh, should say, their Messiah. The fact is, is they believe that it is the Jewish Messiah as well. I mean, have, have you found that with most, I mean, that's how it was for me in Christianity. I mean, not only right. were they here, was he here to save us Gentiles, but he was the Messiah for all the Jews also.
2: Yeah, well, the, um, and, and I think that we can also look in Jewish history and realize that it, it really can't be that offensive to, uh, the Jewish people to believe that someone's the Messiah because we know that down through the ages there were those who speculated about who might be the Messiah, that, that perhaps this person was the Messiah, and nobody within the Jewish community was offended or, or excommunicated because they believed a particular person was the Messiah. It, but it really comes into for uh, for Christianity that the consequence of the New Testament scriptures, the uh, the, the development of Christian theology in the first uh, several centuries, led to a very specific idea about who the Messiah must be, which didn't really mesh well with the Jewish idea. So that raises the question, really, that we're uh, dealing with is who, who is the real Messiah? Is it the person that the Christians came to believe in over a period of several hundred years or uh, the concept that has uh, that still most Jews accept today based on what the Torah teaches and on what the prophets uh, prophesied?
1: Well, and uh, I, I will have to say that through the the years uh, there has been uh, people that were Jews who claimed to be the Messiah. Sure. And yeah. and when we use it in that reference, the Messiah, your mind just automatically takes you to the, the one who was supposed to bring salvation. Keep that in mind when we say the Messiah, even mm. though there were many Messiahs, but there were some... A Jewish people who thought they were the Messiah and believed in it emphatically. And they, of course, uh, ultimately were renounced. And uh, I don't want to get into the specifics of them because that's not what this show is about. This is a little bit uh, uh, different than, than just that. But be it known that there have been many messiahs along you know, the historical timelines, mm-hmm. as well as many, uh, uh, shall I say, man-gods who initially started off as messiahs, the savior of men, and were actually eventually became deity somehow. And this is kind of uh, the case here. And kind of one of the things I wanted to start off with was the uh, the birth of of jesus and just kind of you know use that as a a jumping off point because there are so many things that uh, christianity does use you know proof texts that uh you know he was born of a virgin and and things of of that nature that you know we want to get into those right now Mm -hmm. heavily some of these are going to be very obvious many of them you may already know of some of them maybe not so much but we're going to throw as much as we can at you, knowing that there is certainly plenty more that we could uh, use. But again, you know, we don't want to uh, get into you know, seven weeks of a show on one particular topic, <laughs> that being the birth of Jesus. So right. let's, let's go ahead and see what we can do with this, uh, uh, Prescott. Okay. Um, I know that you and I, before we came on the air, we were talking a little bit about this uh, idea of the virgin birth. And we both know that in Christianity, one of the prophecies that they uh, use is uh, in Isaiah 7.14. And there's others that they use to prove that this is proving, is proof text that Jesus was born of a virgin and is therefore is very, very special in that uh, he was conceived to a virgin by God. And so let's go ahead and start off with that right there. The word Alma. Now, the word Alma doesn't actually mean virgin. Now, I know that a lot of folks already know this, but the word for Alma is actually uh, uh, means a young maiden. It doesn't specify whether she's a virgin or not. So she could be. so, yeah, absolutely. She could be a virgin, but more or less she uh, is not being identified as a virgin by the use of the word Alma. Right. Alma is simply defining a woman who happens to be a young woman.
2: Right, right. So so uh, it'd be kind of like, and I was just going to go for like a specialty, you could be a, uh, uh, you could be, a, what's a foot doctor?
1: What do they call uh, them? I
2: podi- don't know. Foot, a podiatrist? Foot doctors? A podiatrist? Oh, yeah,
1: okay. Podiatrist. That sounds right.
2: <laughs> okay, a podiatrist can be a doctor. Uh, all podiatrists are doctors, but not all doctors are podiatrists. So, you know, uh, all virgins <laughs> no, can be young women, but not all young women can be virgins? Is that how that would go? Anyway. <laughs> okay,
1: that's, uh, that's testing the water out. It is, but uh, I
2: guess it comes down to why this distinction becomes important is because uh, it is one thing to say that a word means a particular thing, and it's another to say, I believe in this thing, therefore I'm going to make a word that doesn't necessarily mean that to then mean it because of what I believe. If I believe that the mother of Jesus was a virgin— and I have this prophecy, then I'm going to make that fit into that prophetic language, even if the original Hebrew word doesn't necessarily mean that, which raises the question of, well, how in the world did we come up with the idea that uh, Alma was uh, meant virgin, and it really ties into the um, the fact that uh, the text I believe, that the uh, New Testament writers would have been uh, referring to or referencing was the Septuagint. And they raised the question of, well, what, what was the Greek translation of the of, of the Hebrew into the Greek? That then, that's when the point of corruption came in. And, and the result of that was that everybody says, oh, okay, then the original Hebrew, it was the word for virgin, which I believe is betula, I believe?
1: Yes. Yeah, so... Betula is the word for Virgin which defines a, a, a woman as a virgin. Right. The word, the word Alma, which is actually the word used in Isaiah 714, is young
2: maiden. Right, right. So then you have the result or a fight that had gone on. I, I remember re, uh, watching, uh, uh, this is a good source of information here, I think it was the Discovery Channel where they did a special on the Dead Sea Scrolls. And, of course, one of the things that, had been argued down through the ages was whether whether this text had become corrupted uh, by uh, the Jewish scribes in trying to write Jesus out of the scriptures by introducing this word Alma instead of Betula, which should have been the original or would have been the original word that was used to to support their claim. And, of course, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered, and, and in fact, one of the first scrolls that was pulled out was the Isaiah scroll and uh, that was one of the things that was of interest was what was this text that had survived 2,000 years and predated the time of Jesus what did Isaiah what was the Hebrew word that was used in the Isaiah scroll uh, in the Dead Sea Scrolls and the word was Alma not Betula as had been claimed and the consequence of that was that many of the newer translations of the New Testament by, the, by Christians, now actually uses the word young woman in the Isaiah text and not the word virgin, that it's only in, in the older translations that you will find the word virgin used in Isaiah.
1: How, and that is true, and we certainly want to commend those publishers who have taken the initiative and, and, and made that change. However, However, I would clearly state that the damage has been done. It didn't change
2: anybody's. It didn't change anybody's theology. That was the problem. Right?
1: They look at that word. They read that verse and say, "Young woman." And they don't think. Well, wait a minute. That doesn't say virgin. Yeah. Their mind does. The mind is already conditioned to think virgin. So, regardless of what you put there, they're thinking virgin. Yeah. So, and and you know, and I'm also <laughs> here to tell you that. If we believe first of all that Torah was written in the finger of, of God, yes it was indeed written literally by Moshe but given to him by Hashem, we also have to believe that the prophecies were tr- were truly inspired by Hashem and that the prophets, you know Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, all of them spoke truth. When they brought these uh, uh, prophecies forth, and uh, in all honesty, if God wanted the word Alma to be there, which He did, mm-hmm. that was the word that was put there. If He wanted the word Betulah, virgin, to be there, Isaiah would have put it there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this—we're talking about something that is very, very important. Uh, you know, Here is the first time in the history of mankind that a child is conceived without the help of a physical male, number one, mm-hmm. and to a woman who is allegedly a virgin. This is a first. Now, with something that enormous, that spectacular of an event, don't you think God would want you to know about it? Well, yeah. of course he would. <laughs> I mean, if it's his son, you know, if he's, if he's trying to tell us this is my son and he was born of a virgin and that's the proof he's my son, he's going to tell you about it. He's not yeah. going to use the word that means young maiden. He's going to yeah. use the word virgin because of the significance of
2: it. Now, now, doesn't this beg the question, though, is Isaiah 714, is it even a messianic prophecy? We we understand that it is to Christians, but why is it a messianic prophecy? And it really hinges on that single word, on, on the misuse of the word uh, that they translate into in the New Testament as meaning virgin. Be, because here, I guess here's my point, that when we read Isaiah 7 as a text, and go through from say verse one and read through the text and into the next chapter. It's actually telling a story. And out of that story, the child that is born to that young woman plays a role, a very specific role, which if that child born to that woman is about the Messiah, then the rest of that, the verses that follow and the verses that proceed must also be referencing that Messiah child. And the problem is, is that when you actually go through and and read that prophecy, you see that in fact, it has to be about somebody else. And, And Christianity recognizes this because Christianity calls this a dual fulfillment of prophecy, that there is an initial prophetic fulfillment of a text, but the dual prophecy is that it also applies to Jesus. So they recognize that that verse is not about Jesus. They recognize that that verse really is about someone else in the time of Isaiah. It was a sign to Ahaz that in his time he was under siege in Jerusalem, and that before the child would know right from wrong, or be able to distinguish the difference between right and wrong, that God would deliver Jerusalem from uh, those who besieged the city, and and nobody disputes that prophetic meaning to Isaiah chapter seven, but out of that verse is plucked this single phrase that then is applied to someone uh, six or seven hundred years later, and it it really is something that is pulled out of context. To fit something else entirely. In fact, in the uh, because in the in Isaiah seven it says and his and you shall call or his name will be called Emmanuel, and in the New Testament it says you know this was to fulfill that which was spoken by the prophet uh, the young or the virgin will give birth to a son and his name will be called Emmanuel, and yet nowhere in the New Testament do we find the name Emmanuel ever applied to Jesus. But this was supposed to be the prophetic fulfillment of this particular text. And like so many other prophecies that we read about that the New Testament writers use, they start by taking something that had a clear reference to other prophetic uh, messages and then extrapolate a single line, a single phrase or a single concept, and then weave it into the narrative in the New Testament about Jesus. And this is one of those cases where Alma or Batula, or th- that this, this one phrase then gets placed into the storyline. And having said that, and I know we're coming to the bottom of the hour, one of the things that has struck me about uh, this idea that if you really want to convince yourself that this is really about a virgin, then you do have a problem because... If it is a dual prophecy, and most scholars agree, even Christian scholars agree that it is a dual prophecy, it means that there are two virgin births. Because if it applies to Mary 700 years later as a virgin birth prophecy, then it also applied to the woman at the time of the prophecy who gave birth to the child, and she too had to be a virgin, and therefore there had to be another Immaculate Conception, and no Christian makes that argument.
1: This is very true. You know, I was just sitting here thinking, too, in, in terms of today, what people would say. I mean, what would you say if a woman walked up to you and told you that she was a, a, a virgin and just, had, just gave birth to a child? you'd probably, you know, laugh her out of town or call for a rubber truck. <laughs> a rubber truck. And so it's, and it's not like, you know, I mean, it wouldn't be unrealistic to think that. I mean, in fact, that's more real to believe that than anything else. Um, why would the people of that day, you know, you know Mary and Joseph, uh, you know, come up and tell them that, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I was a virgin and gave miraculous birth to this uh, child, what do you suppose the people of that time were going to say? Mm-hmm. That oh, well, how nice is that. Oh, be the Messiah. Boy, let me let me get you let me get you a cup of coffee. Yeah, you know, well, <laughs> you know, if, if
2: really if, if it was um uh well, if, if it really was expected that uh, a Messiah was going to be born from a virgin, then uh, there shouldn't have been any fear in Mary basically proclaiming her virginity and being with child right
1: and i think we're probably going to get into some of that fear in the second half of the show but in the meantime prescott we're gonna have to scoot out of here so uh israel national radio can do a little business so folks stick around with us we'll be right back catch you on the other side
2: to know do you deliver falafels to the top of mount zion
0: great i'd like a large falafel with pepperoni sausage and extra cheese yes i know what a falafel is
2: you're listening to IsraelNationalRadio.com. you people are so pushy
1: what israeli people are pushy you stay there surrounded
2: by your great enemy canada try syria for two months then we'll see who's pushy connect to israel through israel national radio
0: Israel is known for its breakthroughs in medical research, including the field of herbal supplements. Priso Opuntimal is dedicated to the wellness of men and women, particularly in the areas of prostate and urinary tract health. We make it affordable for you to get the very best natural health supplements available. Don't just suffer. Get Priso brand Opuntimal. Order it online at priso.com. That's p-r-i-s-s-o.com.
1: Welcome back, everybody. We definitely do appreciate you sticking around for the second half of our Noahide Nation show here. Prescott and I have been uh, talking about the virgin birth, or should I say, alleged virgin the birth. Alleged. <laughs> and you know Prescott and I during the break we were kind of talking a little bit that you know maybe one of the things we should have done at the top of the show I'm I'm going to go ahead and do real briefly right now and that's uh, give you an idea of the Jewish concept of the Messiah. And the Messiah is actually the English word, the English rendering of the Hebrew word Mashiach which means The word Mashiach, the translation, is anointed. Right. It is not Savior. It is anointed. And it usually refers to a person that was actually initiated into God's service by being anointed with uh, anointing oil. And uh, there's many areas of the uh, Tanakh that discuss this. And, in fact, when you read about the uh, temple, Uh, utensils and everything that went with the temple itself, part of it was the anointing oil. Mm -hmm. Uh, All of the priests, the the, the Levites, these people were anointed to serve Hashem and serve in the temple. So we have to understand that this is an, an anointed person, not a word that identifies somebody as the savior of mankind. And quite frankly, uh, when you get right down to it, there's there's many messiahs in, in the Bible. Since uh, every king and and high priest was anointed with oil, uh, each may be referred to as an anointed one, a messiah. For example, God forbid that a uh, David uh, should stretch out his hand against the Lord's Messiah, Saul. Hmm. So, you know, I mean, uh, um, Moses, you could look at in in part as a Messiah. All of the Levites who, uh, when they built the tabernacle, they were anointed to serve. They were all, uh, had the anointing oil put on them. Mm -hmm. You call every one of them was a Mashiach. Also, you know, the Hebrew word uh, Hamashiach, which means the Mashiach, describing Uh, You know, some sort of future anointed person doesn't even appear anywhere in the Bible. Did you, did you know that Prescott? That the, that the word Hamashiach doesn't exist. It's not there.
2: Well, now I did know that, but only because it became something that in the course of study you discover when you start looking at these things, which is why most Christians aren't aware that this is not the case because they don't go looking for these things.
1: Right. Well, in fact, in Judaism, there is not supposed to be this intense focus on the Mashiach. That's not what Judaism is all about. That is not what Torah is all about. It's uh, Whereas in Christianity, the entire focus is on a Messiah. So there is a radical difference. I mean, you want to talk about two sides of a coin, there it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in Judaism, Mashiach is not significant. In Christianity, it's the only
0: significance.
2: Right. And the nature of the significance, too. In, in Judaism, the idea of, of, in terms of redemption and rescue and so on and so forth, really had to do with restoring the people to the land and the role of the land of Israel. Whereas in the Christian idea, it's really about a kind of a spiritual redemption, a universalist redemption of mankind to atone for his sins through blood and so on and so forth, all of which are things that we're going to be talking about. But uh, it's really two very different ideas about what, I guess if we want to call it the Messiah is supposed to do uh, because of course this is how Christians see Jesus as the Messiah, after which there are no more Messiahs necessary
1: right so let's let's get back into this whole thought process of the birth of the Christian. Uh, Messiah, or shall I say the alleged Christian Messiah, some would even say the alleged birth, but nonetheless, (laughs) let's go ahead and give him that one. Let's just assume for a moment that he was born, he was a a real guy who was a Jew. So (laughs) one of the things, I mean, in Christianity, they, they consider this as a sign, this is this is this uh, this whole virgin birth thing was a sign. Well, <laughs> I'm a little a little confused by this because as, as I mentioned, uh, you know, before we uh, well actually when we wind up the uh, last segment, people of today would basically scoff at a person who said, "Oh, I just had a baby and it was a virgin birth." You know, they would do the the, the same thing uh, back then. So, I mean, in in this case, you know, this virginity was not something that could be openly displayed as a proof that something out of the ordinary happened. Because, again, people would just, you know, they'd laugh, they'd ridicule you. In fact, they might even just, you know, give you the boot out of the community. But it's nothing that would be thought of would take place by a, shall we say, a virtuous uh, woman. Uh, a sign, by the way, must be be something that is seen by all, that everybody can see. That oh yes, indeed, this is a sign. Well, that certainly was not the case. So you know, we have you know more more difficulties associated with this whole idea of the virgin birth. Hmm. I mean, wouldn't wouldn't you say? I mean, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, it, it it does kind of. I guess it it raises uh, the question then. Since the Isaiah text does say that this is a sign, would a young woman giving birth to a child be any more of a sign? Now, now here's my point. The text clearly says this shall be a sign. A young woman will give birth to a son or a virgin will give birth to a son, no no matter how you want to translate it. Right. Neither one really can become signs because a virgin can't prove her virginity. And a young woman giving birth to a child is not new, it's not unique, it's not something never done before. It's It's been done many, many times down throughout history, as each one of us, most of us could attest to, by being in existence, that many women have become pregnant and have given birth to children. So the sign really wasn't the young woman or the condition of the young woman. The sign really was that there was going to be a child who would then be the sign of what was relevant to the prophecy. This is why the child, if you go to Isaiah, uh, the next chapter in chapter 8, Isaiah says himself that the Lord has given these children to me, because if you go in the next chapter, it's actually Isaiah's wife, a prophetess, who gave birth to a child, who then became the sign for the king that God was going to deliver him. From his from his enemies,
1: and exactly. I,
2: and Isaiah says that the Lord has given these children to me as signs. Therefore, it's the child that is the sign, not the condition of the mother, whether she's a virgin or not
1: precisely. Yeah. So uh, and it, and it never and it never could be in the first place because the word virgin was never used. Th- exactly. And, but I, but I understand yeah. where you're coming from because in the context of how Christian pastors portray this and right. teach it is that you would think that a virgin birth would certainly be a sign. I I guarantee you yeah. if I knew with any degree of certainty that this had happened, I mean, I'm taking a hard look at it. Yeah. And yet I was a Christian for gosh, I, you know, I don't even know how many years. Yeah, and I wish somebody had shared this with me early on uh, in my life, but yeah. such was not the case. And uh, you know, I've had to find out uh, about it on my own, and that's kind of what we're trying to do here for folks because yeah. you know a lot of folks have been questioning their own belief system. And at the same time, uh, a lot of Noahites, you know, people like you and I, Prescott, listen to this radio show. In fact, mm-hmm. a lot of them do. And oftentimes they run into people and whether they know them or not it's irrelevant. they could be friends, uh, family, uh, could be somebody on the street starts talking to them and you know tries to save them yeah. and they feel you know defenseless against something like this because they don't really have enough of the texts that we're yeah. going to be relaying here to be able to use as mm-hmm. a mechanism to uh, prove what they believe, right. you know, maybe not so much uh, you know, denigrating somebody who you're talking to, because you never want to do that, but at least be in a position to be able to demonstrate why you believe what you believe by using actual sources. So that's sure. kind of another reason why we're doing this whole series, because people will be able to download this and save mm-hmm. it and review it and, and use it. Yep. And oh. ho- hopefully they will.
2: Yep. And just, and just to tidy up on, on the idea of Isaiah's son being the sign, we know from the beginning of uh, chapter 7 that Isaiah took one of his sons when he went to King Ahaz and, and, gave this, and, and spoke to King Ahaz about this problem. So the fact that he had another son in the next chapter would indicate what about his wife? That when she gave birth to their second son, she probably wasn't a virgin. So it would be ridiculous for Isaiah to use the word mm-hmm. because this is a second child, right? So, so this is just uh, some of the illogical pieces. When you pull them together, you realize that this really is about taking one verse and twisting, or or at least uh, intentionally using a another word because there was a reason why it was necessary for the church for for christianity to promote this idea of the virgin birth and that was about creating the picture of jesus as the only one who could be sinless and perfect and therefore be a substitute or or an atoning sacrifice on the cross, part of the Christian message. And so to do that, he just couldn't be a man because in Christianity, there's this doctrine called original sin. That we are all born with Adamic sin, the result of the fall. And therefore, God had to intervene and create a perfect human being. And God couldn't do that because all human beings were tainted with sin. By the by virtue of how they were born. The the fact that right. you're born according to Christianity, you're sinful. Mm-hmm. Jesus had to be without sin. So therefore God had to intervene and get involved in the process, except for and it's interesting because the the Catholic Church and the Protestant Church really approach this in two different ways. And that is that God had to be involved and Mary had to be a virgin in order to produce the sinless Jesus, the problem being that Mary was a human being too. And certainly Mary sinned. Certainly Mary passed on her sin genes to Jesus, which is why the Catholic Church invented the Immaculate Conception.
1: Right. The, and also why Mary has now, well, what do they call it, uh, uh She's a saint or something. I, I remember hearing about it in the news. Uh, she's been elevated to almost a deity uh, well, yeah. in, in the Catholic Church. I, I mean, it's yeah. it's beyond compare. Well, I mean, the things that they've had to do to convince their followers that Catholicism is correct.
2: Yep. Well, uh, well, you have some... you have. A, 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 forgive me, I just get on a rant here, but but you have. <laughs> Um you have the immaculate conception basically uh, at a point after Mary's parents conceived her that God divinely intervened and removed the 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 sin gene I'll call it the from Mary so that she could then be sinless otherwise there's no way that Jesus could be sinless so she had to be without sin and not commit sin uh, until she gave birth to Jesus and then afterwards according to Catholic tradition she remained in perpetuity a virgin even after giving birth to Jesus and and this is necessary in order to allow the doctrine of original sin to stand the scrutiny because the minute that Mary and Joseph are involved in the uh, participating in 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 uh, in in um oh gosh isn't that my brain? Uh, my my brain just went blank that Mary and Joseph had to be really removed from the process of creating Jesus, otherwise he would have human uh he would have human DNA human genes and human sin right by virtue of that. So, so they had to completely create this this very unique situation, which then opens up the question that I raised to some of the Catholics that I've encountered. Well, then why can't God just forgive my sin? If God could eradicate Mary's sin, why couldn't God eradicate my sin and your sin and everybody else's sin? It seems that there's always an exception to the rule that they create right. <laughs> for Don't Mary. love it? Right? And it's kind of <laughs> like, well... It, then, then why couldn't God just forgive me if I come to him and, and say, God forgive me? God forgive me right. for my violation. And the thing that, and again, the part of the, 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 where, where the whole thing got off the rails is that many Christians actually believe that before Jesus arrives on the scene, that those who were not Jewish were lost and going to hell. And this here, of course, is a problem because if we go into the, the Tanakh, we see that God did have a relationship with the non-Jewish world. That it wasn't just the Jews that he was concerned about. He sent Jonah to Nineveh precisely because he was concerned about the non-Jewish world. And, mm-hmm. and the Ninevites, they weren't asked to believe in a future Messiah and they weren't asked to slaughter animals. They were just asked to repent of their wickedness and turn to God.
1: Well, that's a fascinating observation, and I'm going to give you another one right here as well. And this is from uh, my friend and yours, Paul, in in Galatians four four, uh, Paul claims that God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under law. Hmm. Now this this kind of raises a very interesting question yep. that if we presume that a birth without a, a man's assistance we 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 continue to have the problem that Jesus was not born in accordance with the law his right. birth according to the new testament violates the laws of the torah which clearly specify what constitutes adultery ha ha <laughs> I really didn't want to go here, but I'm already there, so already there. Okay. Let's, let's move on. Uh, Mary, you know, according to the, the New Testament, did not conceive by her betrothed Joseph. Therefore, hmm. she committed idolatry under the law. And it's clearly stated in Deuteronomy uh, uh, 22, uh, 23 through 24. And as a result... The Christian claim that Jesus was born of a woman engaged to a man, yet had God as a father, has to be considered an idolatrous union. Uh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, and it, it's very <laughs> difficult for me to conceive that God would...
2: Conceive. ...who created
1: the law. Yeah, <laughs> no pun intended, no believe pun intended, me. No. Um, it's hard to understand why... God would create the Torah in a way that is more or less, as man would, who says, do as I say, not as I do. In Mm. other words, it's okay for God to tell us not to have adulterous relationships, whether you're a Jew or a Noahide, that's Mm. a commandment for both of us. You're telling me that God would then violate his own law? Yeah, yeah. Only Only man would do something like that.
2: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Cause uh, all through, all throughout the Torah, what was the point? The point was, is that do these things, uh, because by doing them, you become holy as I, the Lord, your God, am holy. And therefore, you know, the whole point of the Torah was to become like a Shem and to take on, uh, you know, to, to know what he approves and what he disapproves of. So all of a sudden, what you're saying is that there's this new kind of, way of looking at things the law has been done away with and now we've got this whole new system that disregards things like adultery.
1: Right. Right. Well but and even Paul uh, says confessed not, not himself that yeah. he was born under the law. Uh, and which means that he was conceived under the law. Yeah. Yeah. Well if that's the case then he was the product of an idolatrous relationship. Uh, or, that's all. Yeah. I mean the math is real simple.
2: If if the claim is that he really was born of uh of you know i i really i struggle with even putting the the concept in my brain these days but but if if god and mary came together in this way then it clearly was a violation of torah and therefore what is paul saying is paul actually saying that there wasn't a virgin birth because paul never says in any of his writings that there was a virgin birth. He never once claims that Mary was a virgin or that Jesus was born of a virgin. This is something that you only find in the, in the birth narratives of Matthew and Luke. You don't find them anywhere else in the new Testament. So how, Mm -hmm. how, how, how entrenched or how early on did they really believe in this idea of the virgin birth? Because in Romans, in in the first chapter of Romans, uh, Paul introduces this idea that Jesus was, as to his human ancestry, or he was a descendant of David, which was clearly through Joseph, not through Mary. So in Paul's mind, Paul, Paul doesn't seem to be entertaining the idea of the virgin birth. Matthew and Luke do, but Paul wasn't. And, and so Paul could write in sincerity that he was born under law because, in Paul's mind, he was the product of Mary and Joseph, not a virgin birth.
1: Do you think? Right, uh, right. You know, well, kind of hard I mean, for him to he, say he was under and, law. And, and here's a guy who met Jesus on the road. So, I mean, if anyone would know, he would know. And certainly he wasn't shy about his teaching, so you know, he would have informed everyone else that he knew.
2: So, <laughs> but, 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 as I say, he, he never, he never once, I mean, and, and he was the one who, who proposes this idea that sin, you know, sin was introduced into the picture of Adam and Eve and, and we've now just sort of inherited the sin gene. If anybody would use this idea, this doctrine to support this, it would work perfect with Paul's theology, but Paul doesn't do it. Paul never right. once mentions it. So I, I, I wonder whether Paul really believed in the virgin birth himself. Oh, we're bumping up against well, the Well, I, I,
1: yeah, I don't I, – it's hard to say because we weren't there, obviously. No, no. And no. we certainly weren't at the Council of Nicaea when much of this was discussed, much like our politicians are today, behind closed doors. <laughs> so yeah, I'm not going to go there, yeah, I promise. That's um, okay. That's okay. <laughs> but I'll let you do it uh, once in a while. <laughs> Folks, Prescott was right when he said that we are bumping up uh, against the the end of the show here, and it's never long enough, but we will be back next week, and I think Prescott, and we kind of knew this going in, that we're going to have to do two shows on this particular topic because there is uh, so much subject matter on it, and it is so significant in terms of a Christian messiah. Yeah. So until then, uh, Prescott, you have a great week. Folks, thanks for, for listening and being with us today, and you have a great week as well. And uh, in the meantime, always look to the heavens for your help from Hashem, because, my friends, I guarantee He's always looking out for you. Shavuto.
2: Shalom. Get your very own copy of the New York Times from May 15, 1948, declaring the state of Israel's
0: independence. <laughs>
2: a full-size reprint of the entire newspaper covering Israel's re-establishment. Own a piece of history. Click on IsraelCelebrate60.com. Over 25,000 copies have been distributed. That's IsraelCelebrates, the number 60.com. Arut Sheva's Israel National Radio and Foundation Stone present Landmines with Barnea Salavan and David Wilner.
0: It's about making archaeology accessible to civilization's end user. It's
2: about where we're from. It's about where we're going. It's about the land of Israel and making sense of our fascinating national heritage. Tune in for Landmines every Wednesday from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Israel time. That's Foundation Stone's Landmines on Israel, Israel national, national Radio.